If you can, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20 today, verses 13 through 38. And there's, there's a lot going on in this passage, so buckle up. Acts 20, verses 13 through 38. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For he, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he, and when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Metilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when, he, and when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said that, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. 
They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Thus ends our reading of God's nourishing word. May all who hear it know that they are both fed and protected. How many of you have ever heard of the Sparkle Creed? Anyone out there? Good, I'm glad you haven't. (laughs) It, It is this heretical new confession that has infiltrated many of the more progressive churches in America. You you see, this creed was created by Rachel Smallstokes, a woman who in her disobedience towards God has set herself up as as a pastor over Emmanuel United Church of Christ in Louisville, Kentucky. And, And the reason she created this creed to begin with was because she wanted to celebrate Pride Month in her church. And this makes sense since she herself is in a lesbian relationship. And now every Sunday, she has her congregation read this blasphemous creed. It goes like this. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints, as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the call to each of us that love is love is love, So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. She then ends these heretical words with an amen, but I refuse to say amen to that. And while you may look at this creed and find it ridiculous, and and rightly so, it is ridiculous, in all honesty, this this creed should make us cry. For, for how does a church travel so far from the truth that they don't even realize that they are on a path towards, this, towards destruction? I mean, how does a congregation get to such a place where, where such heretical nonsense is seen as good? The answer is simple. For generations, the United Church of Christ as a whole has failed in their leadership. They, they have not paid careful attention to either their doctrine or to their flock. And because of their lack of watchfulness, they now have this lesbian woman pastor leading them in the Sparkle Creed. And this is the exact thing that the Apostle Paul warns us about in our passage for today. Here in Acts chapter 20, Paul was giving his farewell message to the elders in Ephesus. And it is in this message that he talks about the greatest threat to the church. And this threat that he talks about is is not Satan, nor is it those who were persecuting the church. 
Rather, it is a threat that comes from within the church itself. And we all, all of us must need, we must pay careful attention lest we fall victim to this same threat. Let's see how this plays out. Look, look again at verses 13 through 16. These really establish the, the, the setting of our text for today. It says this, But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, taking, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Metilene. And sailing from there, we, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And so if you remember from last week... The Apostle Paul had left Ephesus because the Holy Spirit was now directing him back to Jerusalem and eventually to the city of Rome. And yet before he would set sail across the Mediterranean Sea, he, he desired to travel through Macedonia and Achaia, visiting the churches that he had planted years prior when he was on his second missionary journey. And when we last left off, Paul was in, in a new city, the, the city of Troas, along with eight of his traveling companions, including the, the author of our text, this man named Luke. But as you can see, Paul was now in a rush, right? He, he wanted to get to Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost. And this is why he passed over the city of Ephesus, for he knew that if he would have stopped there, he would have been greatly delayed. And really, there were, there were two reasons that, that stopping in Ephesus would have, would have caused the delay. The, the first being that Paul, well, he didn't want to run into any legal trouble from that craftsman's guild. Um, remember Demetrius, who, who caused that riot in the city over Paul's teaching just six months prior. Paul didn't did not want to be tied up in, in some lengthy legal battle that would have kept him from Jerusalem. But the other reason, and probably the more important reason, that Paul sailed past Ephesus was because of the pressure that he would have felt to stay longer once having arrived. I'm sure there were many in that church who would have been urging him to delay his journey and remain with them just a bit longer. I mean, after all, they had not seen him in over six months, and I'm sure they missed him greatly. And I'm sure Paul missed them as well and would have felt pressure from his, just from himself to stay. Yet the Holy Spirit was compelling Paul, and Paul was determined to make it to Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost. And so he passed over Ephesus. But just because Paul passed over the city didn't mean that he, he would totally ignore the city, this city that he had spent so much time in. And so that's why we see what we do in verse 17. Look at, look at it one more time. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. 
And so even though Paul was in a hurry, he, he wanted to give some final words to these, to these men whom he had entrusted to shepherd the church in Ephesus. And that's why he had these men meet him in Miletus in order that he might give to them some last-minute instructions before he left. But what would Paul's final words be for these church leaders, for, for these men whom he had spent so much time building up? Basically, Paul, Paul's desire was to let these elders know the type of leadership that would be necessary for this church to survive after he had left. And, and there were four things that we see Paul communicating to these men. One, that as elders, they must have a love for Christ's flock. Two, that as elders, they must have a love for the Lord. Three, that as elders, they must Feed Christ's flock. And finally, four, that as elders, they must protect Christ's flock. And when you look at these four things, what, what you will discover is that, that, is that these are really the, the obligations, or rather the duties of an elder. And so Paul wasn't teaching these men anything new. Rather, he was reinforcing what these men had already been taught. Well, let's take a look at this farewell address of the Apostle Paul and see how these things play out. Look, look with me at verses 18 through 21. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward, toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, the first thing that we see here is Paul reminding these men of the example that he himself set while he was with them. An example that they must now follow. And what we learn from Paul's life and ministry is that in many ways, he lived out the four duties of an elder while he was among them. We see Paul's love for the church. We see Paul's love for the Lord. We see Paul feeding the church, and we see Paul protecting the church as well. Let's, let's consider how this is so. And first, we, we see that Paul was a man who lived among the people, right? He, he did not just show up one Sunday, deliver a, a, a sermon, and then, and then just leave. No. Rather, he spent close to three years in their community he got to know these people. He became a part of their lives. He, he, he became an Ephesian to the Ephesians, right? He not only taught them, but he lived life with them. And it was through this interaction that his love grew for them. And their love grew for him. 
For they witnessed firsthand how Paul's love was a sacrificial love. And Paul emphasizes this even further near the end of his speech. Jump forward, look at, look at verses 33 through 35. Paul says this, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that, that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this is what it looks like to focus on Christ's people rather than yourself. It's not about gaining money or worldly items. Rather, it is about the, the, the sweat, blood, and tears that comes from hard work of caring for your brother and caring for your sister. And that's because Christ's kingdom is, is really demonstrated by Christ's love for us, right? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what Paul was doing. You see, it is not about you, it is about them, right? And if you are going to follow Jesus, well then you need to develop a sacrificial love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is particularly true if you're going to be an elder. For the, for the leaders must be the one who, who set the example. And yet we can only love one another if we have first learned to love the Lord. Look once more at verse 19. Paul said this, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials through the plots of the Jews. And so we see that Paul's ministry was also a subservient ministry as he was under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul considered himself a slave to Jesus. For the Greek word that, that he uses here is douleon, which means to be owned by another or to be in total service to, to a master. And because he was constrained by his Lord's will, we, we see that Paul's ministry was a selfless ministry, a ministry of humility, caring only about what his Lord desired and not about what he desired. And it was a ministry that took courage, right? For Paul was willing to serve his king in spite of all the dangers that he faced. For the, what did he say? There were many tears and many trials during his time in Ephesus. Paul was willing to sacrifice for both his king and for the people whom his king loved. And this is proven true by what he, what he would say later. Look, look, at, look at verses 22 through 24. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 
And again, we, 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 we see once more Paul's willingness to put Jesus and his mission above himself. Paul was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, even though he knew that meant hardship, even though he knew that meant imprisonment. And Paul was willing to go through such trials because he viewed his own life as nothing more than a tribute to this king whom he loved. And that's because Jesus had poured out his grace upon Paul on that road to Damascus. Even though Paul didn't deserve it, Christ chose to save him. And remember, it was, it was Paul who was Christ's enemy. He was persecuting the church with a fervent zeal. And yet Jesus granted mercy to this man by delivering him out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And now in thankfulness and out of a love for his king, Paul would go through any obstacle, any obstacle that Jesus would put in front of him in order to share the same good news that had rescued him with those who were lost. He would run the race with endurance in order to finish well. He would continue to proclaim Jesus until his dying breath. And if God chose to have him imprisoned or even worse, well, he would accept that fate. And now here in our passage for today, Paul was asking for this same type of commitment from these elders. That they would have a love for their Savior. A love for Jesus. A love that would drive them to deny themselves, pick up their own cross, and follow after him. And this is really the calling of all who call themselves Christians, is it not? You, you, you are to have a love for your master that, that outweighs your love for yourself. And it is the leadership of God's church that needs to be leading the way in such devotion. And so this was now the, the, the high calling that Paul was placing upon these elders to love their king more than they love themselves. And yet in their love for him and in their love for Christ's flock, they would also need to feed Christ's flock. Look, look again at verses 20 and 21. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so we see here that Paul's ministry was a teaching ministry with a focus on the word of God and the truth that comes from it. Paul tells us that he did not shrink back from declaring to them all that was profitable. In fact, he, he, he taught them from both a public forum, such as the Hall of Tyrannus, as well as from house to house in, in, in these more intimate settings where these churches would meet. He did not withhold from those who were Jews, nor did he withhold from those who were Greeks. Rather, he taught anyone and everyone who was in need of God's word and would listen. In other words, Paul 
fed the flock. And this too is, is the obligation of the elder. In fact, in, in his letter to, letters to both Timothy and Titus, when, when Paul lists the requirements for being an elder, the only qualification that doesn't have to do with a man's character is his ability to teach. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Here we see Paul talking about what Titus should look for in an elder. He says this, he, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so an elder must be able to bring God's word to Christ's sheep. He must be able to preach and to teach and to have a willingness to do so, even when the message is hard, calling sinners to repentance. But this is exactly what Paul did during his time in Ephesus. He, he, he preached both public, publicly and privately. He, he taught both Jews and Greeks he fed God's sheep. But what did Paul feed them? He fed them the gospel, the good news of his king. His message was a message of repentance from sins and faith in Jesus Christ. And this is crucial because without the gospel message, you can't really have a church, can you? For the church is both formed and shaped by this message. Let's, let's consider this message at, at, at a deeper level and so that you may see how this is so. What did Paul mean when he said repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? The, the, the Greek word that we translate as repentance is metanoia. And it means to change one's mind or to change one's thinking. And in the context of how it is used here, it is, it is a, a change of mind concerning how one lives their life. Whereas before, a, a person was living for their own selfish gratification. Now they are living to please God. Bottom line, Paul preached that a person must turn from their wicked ways and turn towards Christ. And that's where faith comes in, right? The Greek word that is used here is pistis. And it means to trust, to, to believe. Paul taught that a person must have faith, faith or that, that a person must have trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins in order to be saved. That they must believe both in who he is and what he has done. That, that he is God in human flesh that he lived the sinless life that we could not, that he then took upon himself the, the just penalty for our sins when he was crucified and died upon that cross. They must then believe that three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating death, bringing victory to all those who have repentant faith in him. That Jesus is now ruling that he sits at the right hand of the Father, and that his kingdom is growing throughout the face of this earth, and that there will come a day 
when Christ will return to consummate his kingdom. The dead shall rise, and only those who have confessed him as Lord, only those who have truly believed, will find that they have eternal life through him in his kingdom. This this is what Paul means when when he says repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only message that saves. And that is because Jesus is the only one who can save. Again, Paul would stress this same point later in his message. Look, look, at, look at verses 26 and 27. Therefore, I, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And here we see Paul declaring his innocence before these men. He he was like that watchman upon a city wall who who sounded the trumpet when the enemy was approaching. And, And the song that had burst forth from his horn was the clarion call the gospel. But not only had Paul preached the gospel, but he had also raised up these elders, right? He had trained these men to shepherd God's people. And this is what he meant when he he said he declared the whole counsel of God. In other words, he made disciples in that city. And because he had done so, the church in Ephesus was now strong enough, was now healthy enough to stand on its own two legs. And so Paul wasn't leaving them in a lurch as he left for Jerusalem. For the church had these men, these these elders who would now lead them. And yet that was only possible because Paul had fed Christ's flock. And now he was calling upon these men to do the same. They must feed the sheep, the whole counsel of God. They must teach God's word and make disciples of their own. So that one day when they died or if they left, there would be men whom they had taught who could carry it on, who could carry it forward. And so these men knew what to do. Paul was handing them the baton. But Paul had even more to say to these men. Look at verse 25. And now behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Now, I don't know if the Holy Spirit had told Paul that this would be the last time he would see these men. But Paul definitely believed that it was so. That they would not see his face this side of glory. And so Paul was, was treating this time as if this was his last meeting among them. And that is why these next words of admonition were of crucial, crucial importance. Look, look, look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Did you catch that? These men were not only supposed to watch over the flock, but they were, they were to watch over themselves as well. In other words, these elders needed to be shepherding one another first. And that's because Paul knew that as the elders go, so goes the church. It's like the instructions that they give you when you're flying on a plane, right? If the airbags drop, put one over yourself before you put it on your neighbor. These men needed to be looking after their own lives if they were going to also look after the lives of others. And so each elder needed to be his brother's keeper, making sure that he did not stray from his love of the Lord, making sure that he did not stray from his love of the flock, making sure that he did not stray from, from the feeding of the flock and making sure that he did not stray from the protecting of the flock. In other words, they were to be a safety net for one another. Here at New Hope Church, we have a plurality of elders. We, we have a group of men who are looking out for one another. And even though you see my face Practically every Sunday, I am not some lone ranger doing it all by myself. No, I have these other men who are keeping me in check. They are looking after my life. They are looking after my teaching. They are making sure that I have a love for the Lord. They are making sure that I have a love for the flock. They are making sure that, that I am feeding the flock and that I am protecting the flock. And likewise, I am doing the same thing for them. And that's because the role of an elder isn't about one man. It's never been about one man. And speaking of protecting the flock... Paul delivered this charge to these elders. Look at, look at verses 29 through 31. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Paul warns these elders that their greatest threat would come from within the church. And that's because false teachers like to infiltrate God's people in order that they may lead many astray. These are fierce wolves who have their own ends in mind. And their goal is always destruction. But where do these men come from? What does Paul say? He, he says that they come from both the outside as well as from within. That they would come in and that they would arise from among them. And yet Paul's warning was nothing new, was it? For, for Jesus had given the same warning to his disciples as well. 
Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You know, often as Christians, we tend to get easily bothered by the attacks of the world. And because of that, we, we, we tend to narrow our attention on all the wicked things that the world has to say. And while those things are troubling, they're, they're not as troubling as what has been going on within the church. You see, the, the, the wolves of the world are easy to spot, are they not? And, and the reason they're so easy to spot is because they're not disguising themselves, right? They, they, they have not covered up their wolf's fur. They, they are on the hunt with their, their, their fangs bared, and thus they are easily recognizable when they attack. You can tell exactly who they are. But what is, what is more dangerous and what we need to be worried about are these wolves who, who come in dressed in sheep's clothing because they look like us and they sound like us, but they are not us. And because of this, they can do much more damage to the, to the church than the world ever could. And that's because in their attempts to deceive, they try to be so close, so, so close to the real thing that we as God's people can be easily fooled. And this is a trick that they learned from their father, the devil. Con consider this similar warning that Paul had given to the church in Corinth. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 12 through 15. <clears throat> and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Today, the churches in America are filled with fierce, fierce wolves. Men and women who claim to be shepherds, and yet what they are truly doing is feasting upon the sheep. And they have learned how to do this from Satan himself. For what is their method? They, they, they twist God's word, right? They, they, they want to sound Christian, but give a different message. You see, the, the things that they teach and the things that they preach, they, they can sound so good to our untrained ear because they are so close to the truth. And yet when you dig down deep, their message is really no different than the message of the world. 
This is why today we have things like the Sparkle Creed, right? Because wolves like Rachel Small Stokes want to sound like they are from God so that they can lull you into a deep sleep before they show their fangs and begin to devour. And that's why the Apostle Paul wanted these elders to be alert. For they were the most qualified to see through such falsehoods. Jesus said that you would know them by their fruit. And how can you tell good fruit from bad fruit? By knowing what good fruit tastes like, right? I mean, listen, the best way to tell a fake fake is by knowing the genuine article really well. And so just like Paul, these men needed to be studying and teaching God's word as they called men to repentant faith in Jesus Christ. They needed to declare the whole counsel of God. That means being willing to preach things that are not popular to preach. That means being willing to call out sin, even though the world wants to celebrate it. And the reason you preach this message is simple. It's because it is found in God's word. Dear friends, Paul knew that if these elders were about that business, if they were about the business of declaring the whole counsel of God, then it would be very, very difficult for these fierce wolves to blend in. For what such teaching does is it trains Christ's sheep in discernment so that even they will be able to spot a fake from far away. But what these men also needed to be doing beyond teaching was to keep their eyes opened and their ears to the ground. They needed to be aware of everything that was being taught within their church so that they would be able to determine whether what was being taught was in agreement with God's word or not. Open eyes and open ears. Well, before Paul would leave these men, he he would first commend them to God. And we see this in verse 32. Paul says this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so Paul was now entrusting these elders to the safekeeping of God's steady hand and to his holy word, which not only dispenses his grace, but is able to build up his church and deliver the inheritance that belongs to all those who are in Christ Jesus. And what a beautiful Beautiful benediction that is. Well, when Paul had finished speaking, we once again see the love that Paul had for these men and the love that these men had for Paul as it is displayed in this tearful goodbye. Let's let's look at these last set of verses. Look at verses 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. 
what this emotional scene does is it demonstrates to us the type of love that these men had for one another. This was how much Paul meant to these men. And it was how much these men meant to Paul. They, they, they truly were brothers in the Lord. But this message was not just for them, but it was meant for us as well. For, for the truths that, that Paul spoke brings wisdom to every church body who claims Jesus as their Lord, including us. This challenge that Paul laid forth was meant for New Hope Church. Listen, if you are an elder in this church, and I see a few of you in here, then, then ask yourself these four questions. Question number one, do you have a love for Christ's flock? Are you willing to lay down your life for your brothers and for your sisters? Question number two, do you have a love for Jesus? Do you see yourself as Christ's slave, ready and willing for any task that he has set before you? Do you love your king enough that you are willing to pick up your own cross and follow him anywhere? Question number three, are you feeding Christ's flock? Are you making an effort to study God's word and then to, to fill in, to, to preach or to teach the whole counsel of God when asked? And finally, are you protecting Christ's flock? Are you aware of everything that is being taught here at New Hope Church? Are you making sure that, that what is being taught is in accord with sound biblical doctrine? And if it's not, are you willing to correct and to confront? And so if your answer is no to any of these questions, then my challenge for you is this. Seek out your fellow elders and let us work together in order that we may remedy this. Of course, many of you in here are not elders, right? And so I have a different set of questions that are particularly for you. <clears throat> Ask yourself, are you loved by your elders? And not loved by the world's standards of love, but by God's standards. Do, do you feel that they have your best interest in mind? That they would lay down their lives for you? Question number two. Do you believe that your elders love Jesus? And when you look at their lives, do you see a devotion towards their king? Question number three. Are you being fed by your elders? Are you receiving the word of God in its fullness? Have they brought the gospel to you? Have they called you to repentance from your sins and to faith in Jesus Christ? And finally, question number four. Are your elders protecting you? Are, are, are they warning you about all the heretical views that have been invading the modern day church? Do, do they call out these false teachers by name so that you can know who you should stay away from? Again, if your answer is no to any of those, then, then I want you to take that step of faith and, and speak to us in order that we might be fulfilling our duties towards you.
And listen, just because we are elders doesn't mean that we don't need correction, because we do. And many times we can have blind spots. And so we need your help as well. And yet if we work together, if we work together in love and in humility, then by God's grace, I truly, truly believe that we will see New Hope Church be a lasting and healthy church, a church that will last for generations to come. And so let us pay careful attention to one another, for that is our calling in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we, we come to you this day knowing that we are not perfect in these areas. That there are many times when, when I myself find myself lacking in these four duties of, of an elder. And that's because I, I have too much love for myself. And so we, we ask you to help us. Help us in our failings. We ask that your Holy Spirit would change us from within so that we can have a deep, deep love for, for your flock so that we can have an even deeper love for you so that we will be both willing and able to, to feed your sheep and so that we might protect one another from the fierce wolves who want to devour us. May you make New Hope Church into a healthy church. A, a church that will not only thrive, but one that will last for our children and our children's children and for their children. Only you can do this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.